Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com. My guest today is a drummer who has been a sideman for Terrell Stafford, Bobby Broom, Brad Good, Malachi Thompson, and many, many other fine musicians. And he's just recorded, after uh, really decades on the scene, his own debut as a leader, which is it's surprising that it's just happened, but it is, uh, it is well worth the wait. The album is called Into the Light, and uh, drummer Dana Hall opens it this way. My guest is drummer and composer Dana Hall. He's got a brand new record out on Origin Records called Into the Light, and it's my pleasure to welcome Dana to the show. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure to be here. So let's start right out of the gate uh, talking about this band, which is uh, just an incredible band. You really have got an A-list of, uh, of folks with you. Will you tell people who's on the record with you? Terrell Stafford is playing trumpet, and Bruce Barth is the pianist, and he's also doing some Fender Rhodes playing on there. Uh, Tim Warfield Jr. is the tenor and soprano saxophonist, and Rodney Whitaker is playing bass. Will you talk about your uh, your relations with some of those gentlemen and how uh, how you came together with them? Well, I've been playing with all of them in different configurations for some time. Four-fifths of us, we actually have been playing uh, with Terrell Stafford's group for about, well, maybe seven or eight years now. And I've been playing with Rodney. We've, we've played in smaller ensembles together. Uh, we also did some large ensemble playing in Chicago, so we've been playing in different configurations, and I've played in Bruce's trio, and so we've all just sort of been in, in different ensembles with one another. I would say probably the closest relationship I have is with Terrell, being the drummer in his ensemble, and also playing with him in the Carnegie Hall Jazz Band. So we've been playing together now about 11 years. And this particular configuration, this quintet, we've been together about five years now, so... Yeah, I think it was uh, playing with Terrell that I first heard you. Um, and uh, can you talk about uh, what it does to have a group of people with whom you have those close relationships, uh, what it allows you to do uh, in the music? 
well, it allows me to not talk much. <laughs> I don't have to say too much to the guys. I I can have a free exchange of creative ideas. Uh, I can bring in music and almost uh, instantaneously have that music performed in a way that goes beyond what I envisioned it to be. Uh, the input that I get from them artistically and the suggestions that they might make or the ways that they can take my own direction, it, it just happens in a more organic and natural way uh, when you have like-minded individuals that that are sort of in line with what I want to do. And I can't imagine another situation that would be even more ideal. So I guess that's what it allows me to do. It allows me freedom, flexibility, and sort of unbridled creativity. Dana, did you bring things into the studio for this record that when you finished recording them sounded different than what your, your conception had been? Uh, yeah, I did, but none of those things made it to the record. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, had, we were fortunate that we had more than enough material, and there are four other compositions that we recorded that didn't make it to the record, but, but one of those actually was really went beyond what I thought it was going to turn out to be, and it was just primarily based on uh, the things that they played, the way that they sort of took my idea and the skeleton that I gave them, and they, they turned it into a living structure. It's really something. So hopefully that'll see the light of day one of these days. I'm always interested in how uh, different band leaders uh, approach bringing things into the studio and uh, I mean there seems to be you know kind of a spectrum from nothing at all and let's see what happens to here's a sketch and let's fill it out to here are all your parts uh, do you fall somewhere on that spectrum do you do you change from tune to tune how does it work for you I think from tune to tune I I, I think that it's important to know when you have everything there and you want everything that you have to be played and you want it to be played in a specific way and there's other opportunities where you you want some input. You you know you have an idea, you have something that can be worked with. You're not sure where it can go, but you're open to ideas, you're open to hearing what what's going to happen with the material. So I, I think that it's important, especially as a composer, to be flexible. There are some ideas that that are fully formed and there are others that they need a little bit of tweaking and sometimes that tweaking happens in the studio. And so I'm, I, I think that I probably are in line with all three of those different types of, of composers.
almost all of the uh, the tunes on this album are your own compositions. Uh, can you talk about the the decision to do that? Well, I think that I've been I've been playing now uh, with a number of different ensembles as a sideman for for about fifteen years, fifteen twenty years, and. I just thought that most of the opportunities that I have to lead an ensemble up until the past five years have have been me sort of featuring the works of others and me sort of conceptualizing how I want to play the works of others. And most people don't really know me to compose material. They don't know me as a composer and a band leader. And I thought that with my debut recording, it was essential and important for me to introduce that side of myself as an artist. I have songs that I, many songs that I've thought about recording and imagined recording, and they just didn't happen. So I thought, well, now's the time for to start that process and to start that aspect of my career. And so that was really, really important to me. How do you compose? Do you uh, compose at the piano? Do you compose uh, just on staff paper, on another instrument? Uh, how, how does it work for you? Primarily at the piano. Ideas will come to me in my head, and and then I'll sit down, and I'll, I'll write them out, and then I'll check what I have at the piano, and I'll come up with some progression. Sometimes the progression comes first, and I'll have to come up with a melody for that. Sometimes it's a rhythmic motif, and I'll work with that rhythm, and I'll come up with a bass line or some parts for that. Uh, but primarily, the, the, the primary instrument that I work on is, is at the piano. Uh, I think that that works best for me. I can see everything in front of me. I can hear the harmony and the texture. Um, and then I sit behind the drums and I work out sort of the rhythmic conception of how it's going to go. The title of this record and the title of one of the compositions uh, are both Into the Light. Uh, can you talk about where that comes from? I think that it goes back to this, well, I know it goes back to the idea of me stepping into the light as a composer and band leader and arranger and uh, trying to position myself um, in those lights as as someone that has a, has an idea and a conception for my own music. And that's a new thing for me. It's a, a debut. It's a, it's a, it's an unfolding process that I'm excited about. And I thought that that, and that's the way that piece, that title piece works. It's, it's going into the unknown <laughs> with a certain skill set and not knowing what's going to happen and, but confident and assured about the process. So I, I know that that's, that's what I was thinking when I wrote that piece.
you've obviously uh, been on many stages and in many studios, and I wonder if there was something different about uh, stepping into the recording studio when you knew that it was going to be your name on the front cover. Yeah, <laughs> I was. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty nervous uh, proposition. Uh, I know now everybody else that's on the date they you know they have a number of recordings under their own leadership and i was able to experience firsthand what they've experienced when they go into the studio and and they have to sort of manage the music and manage the day's events and order lunch and just everything that seems to be not about the music to deal with those things and also play well and also pace things and to think about uh, how the music is going to be received. and It's just, yeah, it's a lot to think about. It, it's a pretty nerve-wracking thing. Uh, but once you get through the day, and we had, we were fortunate to record everything in one day, once you get through that process and you look back at what you were able to do, it's, it's really awe-inspiring. And so... Uh, I'm excited to do it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, I mean, it sounds from that description almost like uh, like directing a theatrical production or something. I mean, there's just there sounds like there are so many elements that go into it besides okay, now I'm going to sit down at the drums and play my play my parts. Right, it, and it really is. It it I, I like the idea, the notion of saying that it's about managing, uh, really thinking about okay, well. Uh, should we do another take of that, or was that last take okay? Uh, you know, how's everybody's chops? Is it too warm in here? Should we turn the light? Uh, it's just, it's about managing, and you would it would be great if we could all just go in and we could just play, and we would listen to it later and 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 know that it was okay. But there, and then you have to listen to yourself immediately, and you have to really scrutinize not only your own playing, but the playing of your friends and, and say, yeah, maybe we need to do that again, or, oh, that's perfect. And even though they're saying, no, we, maybe I, I should do that. I can get a better one. And you're thinking, no, that's the one. We're going to go with that. So it's 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 about decision-making and managing. And uh, it's very exciting to record your own music and to work with people you love. It's It's nothing better than to make music with your friends. And so I'm really fortunate that I was able to, to start this process as a leader on record with my friends. It seems like uh, I've, I've asked hundreds of people now these kinds of questions about about recording sessions because I, I find it very fascinating. But I don't think anyone's ever used the word pacing before to talk about uh, one of their responsibilities. I hope you'd say a little bit more about that, about what your responsibilities were in terms of pacing, what you meant by that. Sure. Well, I think that sometimes artists have the luxury of working on a project over the course of several days or, or weeks. Um, maybe they'll do it in split sessions. Uh, I can say that we both didn't have the luxury of doing that, and we were also blessed with not needing to do that. So what that means is that the material that I wanted to record we needed to record the day that I planned to record it. So that means that we, I have to think about the balance of the record and the material we're planning to record and knowing, okay, well, do we have enough pieces that have different flavors and different feelings, but they're all a part of one whole? Uh, 
Is it more taxing to play this tune at the beginning of the session because of its complexities, rhythmic or otherwise, or the range on the trumpet, or should we save that for later? Uh, do we need to have a different instrumentation? Does the room need to warm up for the intonation of the horns, the pitch of the piano? Will it maintain tuning throughout the session? Uh, how do we all feel? We, we had performed for the entire weekend, Friday and Saturday, before we went into the studio on a Sunday. So, you know, were we out late Saturday? Do we need to think about that when we go in on Sunday? Um, do we have the stamina to last throughout the entire day? So that's what I mean by pacings, things that are just with any race. <laughs> you have to think about the pacing. Do you want to come out of the gate for the first part of the marathon, or do you want to save a little bit in the tank for the last part? Uh, just thinking about the pacing of the entire day, I think, is essential to getting uh, every, keeping everyone happy and getting the best product out of the end. While you were describing that, you uh, you mentioned trying to decide whether uh, the the flow of the compositions was serving some kind of larger whole. Is there a not in a programmatic way, but is there some sort of uh, thematic uh, thematic concept to this record, whether compositionally or something something that you were attempting to achieve? Uh, I, I would say that I think that what I've learned in playing with these guys is that there's a certain amount of rhythmic and harmonic flexibility that the group has that I think is unique of the other ensembles that I play with. We're able to sort of shape shift and go in different directions and play different things with one another without much dialogue about that process. To me, it's, it's very organic. And I think that that's the thread that runs through each of the pieces and the way that we play them. Um, there's a lot that's prescribed, you know, like there's certain forms and the, the way that we have them arranged, there's certain things that I'd like everyone to do, but but there's a certain amount of freedom that I think everybody has on each piece, and I think that that's the thread that runs through it. 
this flexibility, this organic quality, um, freedom within this sort of con- confined structure, I think is what, what I like about the recording and, and the thing, the theme that I had for each of the pieces and grouping these pieces the way that I did, including, you know, Herbie Hancock's tune and the originals that I had from the other guys. I thought they're all a part of a whole of what we do. It sort of is an example of the types of things that we do. Dana, did you uh, grow up in Chicago? I did not. Where were you from originally? I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, and my my father's side of the family is from Brooklyn, and my mother's side is from Philadelphia. So at a young age, I moved to Philadelphia, and we we lived there and in southern New Jersey, just across the bridge in Voorhees, New Jersey. And how old were you when you started playing drums? Uh, Well, I started playing the drums formally when I was in junior high school. I, I, I set up encyclopedias at different heights. My mother got, you know, somebody came around and sold the encyclopedias, and and so she bought a set for me. And before I started opening them up to find out what was inside, I recognized that you could set them up at different heights, and they had different timbral qualities. And so I would bang on those, and I started doing that when I was three. And so I was sitting on the living room floor playing these sets of encyclopedias at different heights like they were drums when I was three, and then by the time I was oh, probably 12, I started taking uh, some private lessons, and I was given the choice between basketball and drums by the junior high director, and I chose basketball. <laughs> so <laughs> when I went to high school, he was also the, the instructor for the drum line and the marching band. He said, well, if you're still interested in music in high school, you can uh, you know, try out for the, for the marching band. And so I did that, and I was, I was really the worst drummer in the marching band in high school my freshman year. And I was taunted and teased by everybody in the band. Uh, and so that was sort of the impetus that I needed to start at taking lessons formally to, to be the best drummer that I could be, but more importantly at that age, to be better than all the other drummers in high school. <laughs> so, so that's when I could say I officially started taking drum lessons with any seriousness was when I was 14 years old. Was there a, a moment for you when a future behind the drum set began to take shape? I would say that that was probably that was probably when I was uh, living and working in Seattle, and I was splitting my time between being an aerospace engineer and thinking about being a musician. And it was a thriving, in the early 1990s, it was a a thriving music scene in Seattle proper, like in Pioneer Square downtown, but just in in that area, whether it be blues or jazz or popular music, certainly with the emerging rock music that was coming out of the Seattle and the Pacific Northwest, there was lots of music there. And so I was excited by that, and I was excited by the notion of being a part of that, being a part of whatever the life of a musician would be, being an artist. And that was not the same excitement that I got as being an aerospace engineer. And, and I think that that was when I decided at that stage in my life, do, do I want to take chances and be, a, be an artist, or do I want to look back 20 years from then and think what would it have been like had I followed my heart rather than thinking about 
stability, whatever that meant at that stage in my life. So I think that was probably when it happened. If I had a nickel for every jazz musician who had previously been an aerospace engineer, <laughs> You'd have I'd a have a nickel, as it turns out. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's always nice to play the straight man. So so when you made that decision, I mean, did you did you pack your car and say, all right, I'm going to go try this out? Or what, what happened? What was the actual next kind of step to making this dream a reality? Well, I, I, I applied to a school, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll go back east, and I, I knew that I wanted to be close to family for that kind of support. I knew that there were a number of schools in the New York metropolitan area that that I could learn and grow and be around like-minded individuals that were interested in playing the music and playing it seriously. So I applied to school and I went back to William Patterson in Wayne, New Jersey, and I studied there with Rufus Reed and Harold Mayburn, and, and I was there with lots of great musicians. And uh, and then I started to to meet and play with a lot of musicians in New York, and and then things just started to happen for me in that respect. Did your family think you were nuts? Uh, there was some concern. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was some concern. Uh, not so much that I was nuts, but that they knew that I had an aptitude for other things, and they didn't want those that aptitude to atrophy. Um, just thought that, you know, don't let those skills go to waste. But I thought, well, I don't want to let my music skills go to waste. And I thought that I had something to offer and wanted to offer something to society as an artist. And, and that was important to me. And I think that it's important for the world to have artists, to have painters and writers and sculptors and musicians that can inspire the world to be a better place. And so I thought that that was important. I still think that's important. And so whatever concerns they had, I knew that I had the determination to to see that through. Although I made the uh, the aerospace joke, it does seem to be the case that people who uh, excel at, at math and, and science also often excel at music. Do you think that there are 
uh, particular skills or ways of thinking about about problems uh, that contributed to your talents at science and that also help you as a musician? Definitely. I think anytime you have an individual that is concerned with and doesn't ignore the minutiae, you're going to have a pretty good musician, arranger, composer, scientist, mathematician, physician, uh, someone that thinks outside of the box but sees what's in the box and can hear and see possibilities within the unknown. I think that those are these are all skills that are on both sides of the brain. And those that can function on one side efficiently and effectively usually can work the other side of the brain given the right opportunities, given the right teachers, uh, given the right inspiration. So, yeah, I definitely think that there's a strong correlation. Finally, Dana, uh, keeping in mind that this show will air about a month from our conversation today, are there some opportunities for folks to come out and see you? Uh, Yeah, well, I'm going to be performing in Denver. Colorado with the ensemble, um, May 22nd and 23rd at Dazzle. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus, and then we're going to be performing at the Chicago Jazz Festival uh, Labor Day weekend on September 4th. Sounds great. And uh, folks can check the show notes at uh, thejazzsession.com, and we'll give you uh, links to Dana's website, and you can keep in touch with what he's doing and where he's going to be. Well, I really, really enjoy this record. It's Dana Hall. The album is called Into the Light. It's on Origin Records. And uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Dana. I wish you uh, continued success, and thank you for taking the time to talk about the music. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I appreciate it. music from Dana Hall and his debut CD as a leader called Into the Light. This is The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is archived for free in iTunes and at TheJazzSession.com, where you'll also find the Facebook group and the mailing list. 
You'll find links to buy the music that you hear on the show, and a little bit of that purchase comes back to support the jazz session. And you'll find a donate button if you feel like the show has made a difference in your life and you'd like to give a little back. Well, you can do that safely and securely by clicking on donate at thejazzsession.com. My thanks to the members of the Respect Sextet. They're online at respectsextet.com. They recorded the theme music for the jazz session. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo. My new collection of poetry, Unexpected Sunlight, is now available at jasoncrane.org store. That's jasoncrane.org store. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.